Welcome to another episode of Accessibility. It's a show on YouTube where I talk about the video game industry, accessibility and representation. Basically, how can we help more people to play games and more people to see themselves in the games they play? It's 2021, if you hadn't noticed already. Insert some kind of joke here about 2020 being hindsight. We got through another year, and with that, it's time to get all retrospective-y. 2020 was a really big year, both a lot of positives and a few negatives in terms of accessibility in games, and we're going to use this week to look back on everything to do a big old retrospective, because that's what we do at this time of year. So today on Accessibility, we're doing a retrospective. We're going to go back and look at everything that happened in 2020. We're going to look at the games that did good, games that did bad, the industry trends. You know what this is. Let's go. Any discussion of accessibility in video games in 2020 has to start by addressing the elephant in the room. The Last of Us 2. Put simply, The Last of Us 2 created a new benchmark for accessibility support in AAA video games this year. While not everything it did can be directly translated to other games, it stands as a really strong example of what AAA teams can accomplish if they really put their minds to it. You can find a link in the video description to my full video about The Last of Us 2 for an in-depth rundown of the game's features. But put simply, developer Naughty Dog started the game with text-to-speech narration turned on as default to help players get through menus, and opens the first boot of the game to a dedicated accessibility menu before the game itself even begins. The game features multiple different disability-focused presets for people with vision, audio or motor disabilities, and allows for a whole lot of manual tweaking of difficulty and settings. From motion sickness modes, to aim assist, a button to orient the player towards progress, to a text-to-speech readout of the UI, the game was packed with useful settings. Some of the more notable settings included a whole host of ways to customise subtitle appearance and content, the ability to turn handwritten notes into plain text, and high contrast mode, which gave players the ability to turn the whole game grayscale, with the exception of important objects, highlighted in bold, and easy to pass colours. High contrast mode could be turned on or off with a flick of the touchpad, and it was a really, really impressive feature. The Last of Us 2 is even playable start to finish by totally sightless players, as demonstrated by gamers such as Twitch streamer Sightless Combat. The Last of Us 2 was not perfect. It notably lacked audio descriptions, which could have helped blind gamers during cutscenes, but the game undeniably stands head and shoulders above everything else released this year in terms of accessibility settings. Sticking with PlayStation, The Last of Us 2 wasn't the only Sony first-party game released last year that did an impressive job with accessibility settings. Spider-Man Miles Morales mirrored a decent number of the settings found in The Last of Us 2, albeit in a less comprehensive manner. The game features, for example, the same sort of high contrast mode as The Last of Us 2, even if it's a little less simple to activate, as well as settings to help players turn button mashing segments off, to remove button holds, or to remove quick time events entirely. Moving over to Nintendo, in March of 2020 we finally saw the Switch updated to add full button remapping on a system level, bringing the system in line with Sony and Microsoft's consoles. The Switch's button remapping doesn't allow for motions to be remapped, which limits its usefulness in some games, but it largely helps more people play games on Switch. Many Switch games can now be remapped to be playable on a single Joy-Con, which opens up play to gamers who may need to play games one-handed. 
Right as lockdown was beginning, Nintendo released Animal Crossing New Horizons, a game which is notable for its lack of accessibility settings, or any basic settings menu at all. The game features no ability to do things like change the size of your text, or alter your audio balance, and features several insects in the game which can only be caught by audio cues without any visual cues to help deaf players. The latter of these issues was also an issue in multiple Nintendo games this year, including Paper Mario The Origami King, which features one mission that doesn't signal its completion visually, only with an audio change. Pokemon Go this year introduced a bunch of features designed to help people play the game from home during the pandemic, which also happened to allow disabled players to start playing the game from home. Unfortunately, most of these features have been rolled back since. Apparently they'll let you do these things if it's because of a pandemic, but not if it's so that disabled people can play, which is a real shame. Doom Eternal, released towards the start of the year, featured an aim assist mode, and frankly it was a very powerful aim assist mode, which goes a long way to making the game more accessible to players with motor difficulties. If you want to, you can make that reticle really snap to enemies very powerfully, and it makes the game a lot more playable for a lot more people. While Honey I Shrunk the Kids style adventure game Grounded wasn't the first game ever to feature an arachnophobia settings mode, it did bring the topic to the forefront of discussion in 2020 and will hopefully lead to more games following suit in future. Marvel's Avengers in September featured as part of the game's subtitles a couple of instances of non-verbal cues being explained in subtitles. While not explicitly there as an accessibility feature, it was really helpful for me as an autistic player, and I'd love to see this done more deliberately in other games in future. Roguelike action-adventure game Hades had its full release in 2020, and one of its most interesting settings options was a difficulty setting called God Mode. Basically, with God Mode turned on, players will gain a small defence buff to their character every time that they die and have to start over from the beginning of the game. This means that players constantly get stronger through perseverance, and that progress is more steady throughout play. Indie RPG Ickenfell featured a bunch of really interesting accessibility settings too, from content warnings, to the ability to skip fights while still gaining full experience from the encounter, and the ability to automate or semi-automate the game's Paper Mario-style timed button-press damage system in combat. This year also saw a rise in games adopting settings to help dyslexic players. A couple of more notable examples this year include Paradise Killer and Tell Me Why, which both feature support for Open Dyslexic, a font designed to be more easily legible by dyslexic players. After it became the surprise hit during the summer, indie multiplayer murder mystery Among Us took on board player feedback that one of the game's puzzles, where you connect some wires up to other wires of the same colour, was inaccessible to some colourblind players, and added symbols to the wires which could instead be matched for those players. With many of this year's biggest games already tackled, this is the part of the video where we are going to talk about big picture kind of stuff. We're going to talk about the new consoles that released this year and how accessible they are for disabled gamers, as well as sort of wider industry trends that have happened this year that are worth spending some time thinking about. When it comes to Xbox Series X and Series S, Microsoft was very forthcoming about accessibility support for their pair of new consoles. Right at the start of 2020, Microsoft let players know that all of their old controllers would be supported day one on the series consoles, specifically stating that the Xbox Adaptive Controller would be supported at launch. This was huge, as it made the series consoles the first ever games consoles to launch, day one, with a mass-produced, affordable accessibility controller available. 
In terms of software level support, the series consoles basically kept intact all of the Xbox One console's accessibility settings, including screen magnifier and co-pilot mode, which allows two controllers to be registered as a single input. You can find a more in-depth video on co-pilot mode linked in the video description. The series console's packaging also featured some nice accessibility features, including stickers with partially unstuck ends which are easier to grip, and no twist ties used inside the packaging. Sony, by comparison, maintained radio silence about accessibility settings on the PS5 until just a few short days before the console was released. The console's new controller features two major new features, haptic rumble, a new type of rumble that simulates complex sensations, and adaptive triggers, which resist being pushed to simulate sensations like the drawing of a bowstring. Both the haptic rumble and adaptive triggers, which both pose accessibility concerns, can thankfully be turned off on a system level, bringing the controller in line with the functionality of a PS4 controller. However, unlike Microsoft, Sony has chosen not to allow older controllers to be used to play new games natively on the PS5. This isn't a hardware limitation or an inherent limitation of the games. Players can use remote play to play PS5 games with a PS4 controller from other devices. This is a choice by Sony to push new controllers, and a choice that unfortunately prevents players with custom-made disability controllers for the PS4 from using them on the PS5. The PS5 box itself contains twist ties which can be difficult to open for users with motor disabilities, and the console lacks some basic accessibility settings we would have expected, such as the ability to resize the console's tiny home screen icons, as well as lacking a screen magnifier. The PS5 does however feature system level text size alteration, colour blindness profiles, and system level default settings to tell your game if you'd like things like subtitles to be on by default. For many new games, the PS5 also features a built-in hint and walkthrough video system, but this is unfortunately locked behind a PlayStation Plus subscription. As of today, Nintendo and Sony still both lack their own equivalent of the Xbox Adaptive Controller, but progress is being made on unofficial support for those consoles. Switch owners can use adapters such as the Switch Up Game Enhancer to connect an Xbox Adaptive Controller via a wired connection, and the Titan 2 adapter for the PS5 is receiving firmware updates that seem like a promising lead to getting the Adaptive Controller, as well as PS4 controllers, working with PS5 games. Additionally, peripheral manufacturer Hori has released an Adaptive Controller for Switch, but it's available only in Japan right now, and costs considerably more than the Xbox Adaptive Controller. Thankfully, if you do decide to pick one up, it does support the same input connector types for players with existing peripherals. One company who, towards the end of this year, have been making really promising strides forward in terms of accessibility settings are Ubisoft, who have really gone out of their way to try and improve the variety of settings they offer disabled players. I didn't cover any of Ubisoft's games on accessibility in 2020, largely because the company has failed to properly address mounting reports of harassment within the company from upper management, but going into 2021 I may have to change that stance a little. Ubisoft are becoming a key player in the video game accessibility space, and to ignore them entirely from this conversation would do this series a disservice. However. I will stick to covering those games on accessibility exclusively, and I will mention the reports of harassment within the company when making videos about their accessibility settings. That's probably how I'm going to handle that this year. One of this year's final big releases was Cyberpunk 2077, which 
has a huge amount of issues when it comes to accessibility. The game lacks full keybinding support, doesn't allow for changing the text size of tiny subtitles above characters' heads outside of cutscenes, and notably gave one reviewer a photosensitive seizure during the review period. The game featured a photosensitivity warning, hidden deep within a Eula that joked at its start about how no one reads those because they're too long and boring. The game has since been updated to alter the particularly egregious scene in question that caused that seizure, but it still features a lot of intense visual effects which could cause issues for photosensitive or epileptic players. Lastly, VR gaming has basically made no steps forward in 2020 in terms of becoming more accessible. We've got a video on VR gaming accessibility coming up on the channel soon, just know that things are not really progressing at all in that space right now. One big thing to note this year, something viewers of this show routinely mention in our comments, is that Japan is very much lagging behind Europe and America when it comes to including accessibility support in games. Most of the games this year that I had major praise for were developed outside of Japan, and a lot of Japanese developed games this year lacked even the most basic settings such as subtitle options or button remapping. Nintendo is particularly bad at this, with games featuring mandatory motion controls or featuring no settings menu at all. It's telling that Microsoft is the only major console manufacturer to feature support for a disability-focused controller. At this point, I fully expected that one of the Japanese console makers would have done their own version to try and keep up, but no, that's just not a thing. And the fact that Microsoft sent so many review consoles this year to disabled players to review, it says a lot about their priorities and how they view making their console accessible. They're a lot more willing to openly support disabled players and their needs. Even the Sony games this year that I praised for their accessibility settings were largely developed by teams outside of Japan. I've been told by commenters that this is a cultural thing. Apparently Japan is a lot less willing as a country to talk openly about accessibility for disabled people, but I hope this changes over time because right now Japanese games are really falling behind in this conversation. One thing that was really nice to see this year was accessibility becoming a more mainstream part of the gaming conversation. The Game Awards this year had an award for most accessible game, even if the winner of that award being The Last of Us 2 was pretty predictable. And we even saw IGN publish accessibility reviews of the two new next-gen consoles. Granted, those IGN accessibility reviews were considerably delayed, I'd like to see them released the same day as the main reviews of the consoles in future, but it's a really promising step in the right direction. Overall, 2020 was a really promising year in terms of video game accessibility, from big AAA games like The Last of Us 2 really pushing the envelope of what you can do if you have money and a budget and time, but also seeing indie games make real efforts to do interesting things with their accessibility, seeing wider games across the industry start to adopt more of these accessibility settings as sort of standards in the industry, and seeing the conversation become more mainstream has been really, really rewarding to see. We've still got a ways to go, but I'm really hopeful that 2021 is going to be a big year for accessibility being an even bigger part of the gaming conversation. We made a lot of progress last year, we've still got some things to fix, but we know what those things are, and I'm hoping for a good year ahead.